Sweet, sweet morning. What do you think? Awesome. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Glory to God. So, yeah, we're in week two of, of the series, Made for More, and today is that word, or those words, to be. You were made to, to be more. An important business executive uh, needed to get from New York to Buffalo, so he hopped aboard a, a train that was actually heading for Chicago, and he told the porter very clearly, hey, I need to be woken up at 3 a.m. I need to get off at Buffalo. I, I'm a heavy sleeper. Whatever it takes, you make sure I get off of this train in Buffalo, 3 a.m. Well, the next morning when he woke up in Chicago, he, he wasn't very happy, and he went after that porter, gave him such a verbal lashing. It was terrible. And then he walked off the train, and he, of course, he had to figure it out. But an observing passenger said to the porter, man, how could you stand there and take that abuse? To which the porter said, oh, that was nothing. You should have seen the guy I threw off in Buffalo. <laughs> That's a case of identity confusion, okay? Our study is built on two biblical and one emotional assumption. Biblical assumption number one, Ephesians 2.10. For we are, you are, I am, we together are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's read it together. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's right. You are made by God in Christ for God and for God's purposes. Biblical assumption number two is you better believe there is a very real thief, and he is on a mission. He's on a mission to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus wants us to know that he has come to give life and to give it to the what? Full. Let's read that together. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's a great word in the original language. It's the word pleroma. It means completion, entirety. It's a life of abundance. It exceeds anything you could ever ask, hope, dream, or imagine. You can check that out at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. So not only are we made by God and God's purposes, but God's plan is for all of us to discover and to walk in our sweet spot in life. I, I just forever feel badly for my dad who, who said, left this world feeling like he never found his niche. You weren't made for a niche. You were made to walk in your personal sweet spot with God. Anybody like that at all? Yeah, I mean, I do. Okay, so now the emotional assumption is that many of us share a restless discontent. Anybody share a restless discontent? Huh? Yeah, we share a restless discontent. It's the, it's the sense that I was made for more than what I am currently experiencing. I must find it. How do I experience and walk in that sweet spot that God has for me? And all of this, as we saw last week, starts by settling three questions. The first one is the B issue. This is about your identity and your design. Did you notice how many songs today were about our love and our position as children of God? Yeah, this is about to be. Who am I made 
to be. The second question is do. You have a calling on your life, a purpose on your life. So it answers the question, what am I made to do? And then the third is go. It's about place and where. Where am I made to live out this be and this do? Yeah, so if you want to find your personal sweet spot in life, go after these three questions. Who am I made to be? What am I made to do? And where am I supposed to go to live that out? So now today, we want to hone in that very first one. As we're seeing today, it's all about be. What is my core identity? And for those of us who are in Christ, this is our shared identity. It's your core identity, and it's your shared identity. Next week, we'll talk about your unique identity, because God's not into cookie cutters, but he, he does have consistency when it comes to us living as children of our Father. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah. Golly. First John 3, 1. I loved First John. Does anybody love First John 3, 1? Yeah. What does it say? Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the very sons and daughters of God, and that is what we are. Wow. Wow. See, it's one thing for a porter on a train to mistake an identity, but it's another thing altogether to go through life never discovering who it is you really are to be. Who am I really? And until we settle that, you can be sure someone or something else is going to give it a good try. For example, performance is going to give it a really good try. On the report card of life, what's your grade? A, B, C, D, F? Am I a failure? Am I a success? Am I somewhere in between? Friends, this is one of those tools that the thief is going to use to try to destroy you. You better believe it. And until we answer the question, who has God created me to be, then we're going to allow ourselves to be defined by what psychologists have called the looking glass self. Looking glass. You probably don't even know that word. Some of the younger folks probably don't even know that word. The word means mirror it's a mirror, and we will begin to see ourselves in a mirror that's telling us what we think other people are thinking of us. That's a tool in the hand of a thief. Yeah. And if you think being a preacher eliminates this one, no way, man. Everybody's got their own standard. You better believe it. So can't do that. You got to find it in him. Another thing that will, will rob us is past hurts. I mean, come on, we don't talk about this stuff in church, but some of us here have been abandoned in life. Others have been betrayed. Some deeply wounded. And we're talking about in your soul. We're talking about abuse, even as, as small children. And if we are not careful, we will get wrapped up in an identity of pain it will hold us as slaves and it's one of those tools that the enemy wants to use to try to mess us up Whew. so blaise pascal 17th century philosopher mathematician came to christ yeah hallelujah and and he said this not only do we know god by jesus christ alone but we know ourselves only by jesus christ 
We know life and death only through Jesus. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what life is, nor our death, nor our God, nor ourselves. Who am I really? Well, the only way that any of us will ever be able to answer that question is to answer the question, who is Jesus Christ? And what is this cross really all about? So, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, we get some pictures of who Jesus says we are. Written by Peter, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is Jesus wanting us to know some things. How does God see me? How does God want me to begin to see myself? This is the trailhead to discovering who, who you are. And if, and if you miss the trailhead, you're, you're going to miss the destination because you cannot get to the do or the or the go until you settle the B. We get that all out of order, and it's just about B, 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 performance, performance, performance. But watch what the Word of God says. It says this of you. And notice, it's us together, but it's you. And we're going to walk through this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Would you read those next three words? God, just rest there. Yeah, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people, the family of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yeah, so who are you really? First, notice you are chosen. You're a chosen child of God. Collectively, we are a chosen people. So this is our common, this is our shared identity. It's a core identity here. That means you've been selected. Have you ever been rejected? Yeah, well, read this Snoopy cartoon I brought. I hope you can see it. Poor Snoopy. His article's rejected by a publisher in his submission. What did we ever do to hurt you that you would send us this? <laughs> yeah, that's rejection, and rejection is not a good thing. But when we, when we try to consider this word rejection in the 21st century setting, we miss the entire point of it because there's something way deeper going on here. What we need to do is... We need to put ourselves in, in an ancient Greek setting. First century Greek, Greece. <laughs> you are in a setting in Ephesus. You're watching the play Oedipus Rex. As the plot unfolds, the king and queen of Thebes have been warned through an oracle that the son they are about to bring into the world is going to bring disaster on the family. So in response, the father carries that child out to a field sets it on the ground, and walks away. Now, think about the response of the audience at this point. A father abandoning his child in a field. Well, the truth is, there wasn't much of a response at all. Because in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, and until Christianity came, came along, this was a very common, common practice. 
In the ancient world, when a child was brought into the world, it was placed at his father's feet, and the father at that point could make a choice. He could pick that child up and embrace the child, signifying, I claim this child, I accept this child. Or he could have that child killed. He could take that child out into a field to, 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 to say that the fates, the fates can have their way with this child. Or he could take it to the dump outside the city where traders would come along to collect these children to sell them into slavery or prostitution. That was pre-Christianity, but Christians then came along and began rescuing these children. See, it's in this culture that Peter says, once you were abandoned and once you were left, and now through Christ you are chosen for a life of blessing. A, a total flip right here. This isn't about being chosen or not chosen to play a kickball game or a basketball game. This is not about being rejected when you ask someone out to, to, to a prom. This is a culture of outright abandonment and rejection. And right there, God says, I haven't turned my back on you. I'm reaching out to you with all the love that's in me. You are mine. And that's your identity. That's, that's your identity. We need to settle it. I mean, you don't have to look around for anybody else's approval. People are cruel. Okay, when I say God is good, right? And you say all the time, yeah. Am I saying people are good all the time? Am I saying circumstances are good all the time? Am I saying stuff is good all the time? Yeah, so don't let that distort your view of God. It's God who is good all the time because of his great love. Romans 5.8 says it so well. And you got to capitalize on the first two words of Romans 5.8. The first two words. Anybody know the first two words? There they are. But God, whatever you're facing, remember there's, only, there's always the but God piece. But God demonstrates his great love for us in this, that while we were actively rebelling against him, he laid down his life for us. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. But she said, well, I don't, I don't feel accepted. I, I, don't, I don't feel loved. Can I tell you some good news? God's love isn't dependent on how you feel. It's just the truth, plain and simple. So when Pascal says, hey, if you want to know who you are, begin by considering Jesus. Begin by considering the cross. That's his story. He knows what that's all about. There was a couple, a young couple, who were just upwardly mobile. They were succeeding in, in every way imaginable in life, just doing quite well, had a nice big house. And then all of a sudden, one day, they walked away from their house to move into a much smaller place, a condo. What was going on there was they decided that she should retire early because she wanted to get more involved in ministry. <laughs> and then soon after that, he quit his job, retiring, right, in order to take a position on his church staff, being paid part-time, but giving more than full-time. Who in the world could, could ever come to a place such as that? Well, I'll tell you, it's not going to be a person whose identity is wrapped up in their house or their retirement account or their savings account or in trust in their Social Security or whatever else, the, you know, the, the, the inheritance from, from the parents or, or whatever it might be. It's going to be someone who has discovered and is embracing their identity in Jesus Christ and therefore is free to move as God is leading them. 
Yeah, back to our text. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Let's, let's just mark royal priesthood because that's uh, one I want to come back to. A holy, a holy nation. You are holy. Now, look at that word holy. What thoughts come to mind when you think about holy? Maybe you think about perfect behavior there. Or, or maybe you think about an extremely boring existence. Holy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, anybody ever hear of Harry Carey? Any Chicago Cubs fans around here? Harry Carey? Yeah, I got to see him at Wrigley Field before his passing. He's a, he's a baseball Hall of Famer, yeah? And, and, and I, I was just in Cooperstown not too long ago, and I got to tell you, that's a sweet place to be. And Harry Carey, you can find him there. He was a radio and sportscaster. Um, but whenever a Cubby would make a great play, you could count on, on, on Carey sticking his head out his booth window and shouting holy cow yeah and uh, and so what he's doing there is he, he's associating holy with behavior and and that is a secondary definition to the word holy but the primary definition is one that if you're going to discover your identity in christ you need to get this right first because the primary definition is that you are so valued that God has set you apart for his special purposes. Yeah, that's right. That's where this expression holy cow comes from. It doesn't mean some cows are holier than others, okay? It just means this. In some cultures, cows are so set apart as special that people in our world would rather die than kill a cow. That's what it's talking about. Holy nation means that we are a community of people who aren't trying to fit into the world's mold, but we're understanding that God has a special plan for us, and we find that special plan as we're aligning ourselves with him as his children. So, so let's just think about worth here, here for, for a moment. What gives something, any collectors in here? Collectors? Uh, I didn't mean collecting junk. I meant like, <laughs> if, if I say collecting junk, we're Americans. You know, we can't park in our garages. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> well, uh, what gives something? Well, the first thing that gives something value is, is who is the maker. And if, if I were to try to sell you a Michael Descoli painting for 100 bucks, I hope you wouldn't buy it. Okay? I hope you're smarter than that. But if I tried to, to sell you a certified Picasso for 100 bucks, I hope that you would buy it because maker contributes to the value. So you look at Ephesians 2.10, one of our core verses, and we find there, we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, right? Yeah, that's right. God is making us. He is our maker, and that gives us our great value. But many today are are being lied to because our culture is telling people that they are a flip fluke of circumstances and events in nature. But that's, that's, that's a lie. You are in an intentional work of art. You have a maker. Yeah, Psalm 139 is one of the best places talking to God. For you, Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's read the rest of this together. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Yeah. So another thing that contributes to value is who owns it. 
So look at this autograph. This is an official George Washington autograph. This book was uh, put on, on auction at Sotheby's in 2012, and it sold for, drumroll please, I'm waiting, $9.8 million. Why? Because of who owned it. How much would it be worth if you owned it? Yeah, it's valuable. Because of the who, and in Christ, God's signature is written all over you. You are his. And you say, but I don't want to be owned by anybody. I want to be my own person. Please remember what we're talking about. We are talking about life to the full. We are talking about walking in your sweet spot. And if you want to find your sweet spot, look at the word of God and what it says. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, one more thing adds to value. Value is, is determined by how much someone is willing to pay. And <clears throat> this next image is one you're going to see again and again and again. I love bringing this one uh, to church and, and pointing it out because uh, this is a 1909 Honus Wagner. It, it's a baseball card. It didn't come in a, in a pack of, of bubble gum. It, it's, it's a much smaller card than that. It was intended to come <clears throat> in a pack of tobacco. But... Warner is said that he didn't want kids to have to go buy cigarettes in order to get his baseball card. So the card never went into production. Right. Very few of them. So the last one sold was in 2016 for $3.2 million. Would you pay that much for it? It doesn't matter if you would pay that much for it. Why? Because somebody was willing to pay that kind of price. How much are you worth? For God so loved the world that he didn't pay a hundred bucks. He didn't pay a thousand bucks. He didn't pay 3.2 million bucks. He paid the highest price of all. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how precious you are paid go ahead give glory to god i remember back in in middle school when friends were talking about a party that i wasn't invited to everybody anybody ever had that feeling maybe maybe you invited someone to prom and they turned you down or maybe you were never invited to prom wouldn't even thought about going to prom right yeah or, 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 or maybe uh, you remember being overlooked by an opportunity at work. Or how about this one? The person that you pledged your greatest love and commitment to somewhere along the way betrayed you or, or abandoned you. I want you to think about those times. Even some of us here abandoned by a parent or, or, or by parents. You need to hear this. These people are not the ones who get to determine your worth. Your worth is determined by one who laid his life down for you. Back to the text, 1 Peter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who am I? I am family. Why am I family? Because God gave me the greatest kindness ever imaginable. It's expressed in the word mercy. 
I think most of us here are shame-driven, or at least we know what shame-driven is. Honestly, are you driven by shame? And if you're not sure, think, of, think about this. Go back to your memories in life and, and remember a time that you did something and you were embarrassed. Just get that story to mind, okay? Because what we're talking about is, is shame. And I work on sermons, and, and as I was thinking about this sermon, I, I had to wonder, is some of my preparation revolving around shame? Now, hold on a minute before you judge me here, okay? I'm just being honest in my thinking. Because if there's anything pre- preachers are ridiculed for, I'm not getting fed. He's not reaching lost people. Everybody's got their standard for the, the preacher. And yes, I want to believe that God is directing me and that my purpose here is to serve him and serve you in order that we together can be equipped for God's work. But am I avoiding shame because I don't want to face disappointment? Avoid shame at all costs. Don't ask that girl out. Don't, don't even think about that. Don't, don't even go there. She may reject you. Don't risk Don't take responsibility or leadership for anything. Don't volunteer. Why set yourself up for embarrassment? Shame whispers things like, I'm defective, I'm dirty, I'm unwanted, I'm weak, I'm insignificant. Someone else can do it better anyway. Besides, if people really knew what's going on inside me, there's no way they could ever like me. Wow. And shame will keep us, will keep you in a prison of fear. But Pascal got it right. The answer settled the question, who is Jesus? Why the cross? And then you'll begin to understand why the Bible says things like this. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. And when you feel shame, you need to know it's not coming from him. Just consider the source and then remember what God says. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Ephesians 2.4, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Shame kills. Mercy brings life. Your identity isn't in shame. And we tend to think of mercy as being icing on the cake. You know, if I'll just be good enough, then I'll get a little bit of God's favor and God's kindness going on here because God gives us the frosting when we're good that's that's the way we tend to think about friends that only leaves us defeated and it only reminds us that that we're not that good (laughs) and I'm here to tell you today that that God's favor God's kindness it's not the frosting it's the whole cake (laughs) it's the gift that God wants to lavish on you Back to our text, 1 Peter 2.10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. When Martin Luther nailed the theses to the wall there at Wittenberg, one of his big concerns for the church was getting back to the priesthood of all believers. Did you hear that? The priesthood of all believers. Are you a believer? Are you a priest? A little less there, not very many saying much. I'm not committing to anything here, right? And God says, you have a calling on your life, and it's not because of you, but it's because of me that you have the confidence that you need to fulfill your duty. And what's the role of a priest? The role of a priest is to be so connected to God 
that we are now leading people to God. It's a vertical connection, horizontal effects, as we not only model God, but share God with them. Priests are lightened in a, in, in a dark world, people groping their way through the darkness, and God's light so in us that others are finding a way. That's my story, and I'll bet, you know what, if we were to take a poll today, what most influenced you to Christ? We guaranteed most of us here wouldn't say that it was some sermon or some conference or some camp or some retreat. Most of us here, typically in any setting, would say it's because of a person and me seeing Jesus in their lives. And so just before Valerie and I left on this amazing sabbatical that who knows if we'll ever get there and talk about this, we, met, we witnessed a couple of things. Summit Church as priests. Let me give you a few. One of them, I was concerned about a man who had been very ill. So I called him at his home, and he didn't answer the telephone because one of you answered the telephone, because you were taking time to sit with this man. In fact, the man didn't even want to talk to me. Hallelujah. There you, who said that? Hallelujah. <laughs> Can you say that a little louder? I am so, 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 so with you. Priests. It's not my job to do the work of the ministry. It's my job to equip for the work of the ministry. But I got to tell you, I really enjoy sitting with people in hospitals and in prison. I love praying for people. I love seeing miracles, too. But this isn't my duty. This is our duty. Don't put that junk on me, baby. Yeah. Another guy, walking in darkness of depression. And then turned this huge corner, called me. It was a Wednesday afternoon. And he just was through the roof and said, I, I got to tell you, I'm really not alone. Why, why aren't you alone? Because that Summit Church body, they let me know. They remember me. They're still in my Give a shout to God. That's the body of Christ right there. Thank you. Thank You don't do it just to be good. You do it because of the bee. You do it because it's who you are. You know that you are so loved and such a child of God that you've got some overflow that you can give to someone else. So the challenge is be the priest. Ask God, Lord, where is it that you're working? Where do you want me to join you? How can I participate with what you're already doing? And then let Christ give you the competency. No, man, the early church, they didn't train much. They just had to trust God to give them what they needed. I hope we can do a, a little better today. But, you know, sometimes the better just messes up the simple work and the greater work of God. God with you. You, a child of God. God equipping you. His primary purpose for you is that you, well... Your primary purpose isn't to make an impression. Not to impress anybody. But it's to be so in a relationship with God that you know you're a child of God. And I am who he says that I am. If, if you don't have a relationship with God, we are so glad you're here. And, and, and if the Spirit is prompting you, Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Share it with someone. 
in, in a little bit, there'll be some people down here to pray with you. Um, yeah. And they'll be here to pray with you for anything. But um, yeah, maybe today's your day to surrender to Christ. Let's just pray. Thank you, God, for what you're speaking to people. And so right there, um, between you and God, friends, just, just ask God, God, why'd you bring me here today? What is it you wanted me to hear today? And then, Lord, would you please show me what it is you want me to do? I need the worship team to come up. And I need us together just to consider, God, thank you for what you call me. Thank you for your name that's written on me. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Let's let the worship team bring us back and sing a little bit, and then uh, we'll go on. <laughs>